Hey, everybody. Let's have a word of prayer together as we continue our journey through the book of Acts in our series, Unstoppable. Father in heaven, thank you for who you are and how you work in our lives. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit and his ability to be everywhere in every situation. We pray now, Lord, that as we continue into the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, that you would send your spirit to us in a mighty way, that in some amazing way it would change us from the inside out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I have a quote here from Albert Einstein, believe it or not, and it goes like this. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. When coincidence strikes, most people find themselves divided into two camps. Those declined uh, to dismiss such events as random or maybe even just dumb luck. And then there are those who sense meaning or God's providence behind them. For me, well, it kind of depends on the coincidence and the circumstance of the situation uh, for me to decide which one it is. I believe that there are just dumb luck coincidences, but I also believe that there are many times when what most people would call coincidence is really God's providence in our lives. But I cannot help but see God's divine providence in guiding us to explore the book of Acts during these confusing times. I mean, we've seen it over and over every week how each chapter remarkably aligns with the current events as they unfold. Or perhaps, and this thought really uh, hit me as I was thinking about this, perhaps the Word of God is so alive and active, so sharp and powerfully penetrating, that it has a way to marvelously calibrate our perspective to realize its relevancy in the current situation. And I believe that no chapter demonstrates this truth more than the 17th chapter. Besides its remarkable application to our present-day situation, I think we're going to find out that this chapter is a great lesson on how to engage both religious and secular people to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's get right into it. We'll begin with verse 1. And it goes like this. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where they, there was a Jewish synagogue, as was his custom. Catch that. As was his custom. In other words, this is what he did. This is what he did all the time. Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbaths, week after week after week, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and providing, or excuse me, proving, rather, that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of these Jews were persuaded and joined. Paul and Silas and as did a larger number of God-fearing Greeks and quite few prominent women. I kind of like the fact that 
they actually mention the women in this too. But then in verse 5 it says, but other Jews were jealous. Now catch this. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Hmm. This sounds strangely familiar, doesn't it? Have you noticed how the enemy of souls, the celestial rebel, inspires to turn something good into anarchy? We've seen it in the past few months, even on the news, over and over again. When you have some peaceful protesters, suddenly everything becomes very violent. And, and then there is pandemonium and there's, 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 there's just total craziness and the riots and, and it's just nuts. So they rushed, the Bible says in verse 5, to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Some versions say, these men who have turned the world upside down are here too. And you've heard me say often that the world was already upside down. They were actually trying to turn the world right side up. And Jason has welcomed, welcomed them in the house. And they're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the other post bond, and then they let them go. When I used to teach leadership class, I used to teach students... And when I do leadership coaching, I teach uh, those who I coach to begin to see things through leadership eyes, through a leadership bias. And I never forget my students would get so mad at me because we would watch a movie, just a simple movie, an entertaining movie. And I would say, okay, but now we're going to watch it together with leadership eyes. And then we would draw these leadership lessons from them. Until this day, I still get an email from somebody that will say to me, Pastor, you've ruined the way I look at movies now. Every time I look at a movie, I cannot enjoy it anymore. I have to watch it through leadership eyes. Here's what I believe. Once the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, once the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, once the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me, we see the world through a different lens. We see it through Spirit-led eyes. And if you see the world through Spirit-led eyes, you don't need me to tell you that this world is being thrown into turmoil by the prince of this world. Not just by misguided human agitators, but I believe by also Rome, uh, uh, rebel demons. Just like the ones that were thrown into the crowd that yelled, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. All throughout history, these demons have penetrated and infiltrated and have tried to cause turmoil. And I believe it's happening here today in so many different ways. Now, verse 10 says this, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Let's sneak them away from here. Let's get them out of here. And arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. That was their custom. That's what they did. And it says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. 
Don't you like this? I mean, I love the fact that there is a group of people that are recognized for their noble character. And here's what it says. Here's why they were recognized for the, their noble character. It says, for they received the message with great eagerness. In other words, they wanted to know. They, they wanted to know what, 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 is, what, is, what is Paul and Silas telling us. They received it, but they didn't just accept it, though. Listen to what they did. They received it with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Now, that's the way to study the Bible. That's the way to listen to a sermon. Don't just take my word for it. Look it up. Check it out. Make sure that it's really what it says. Study the scriptures for yourself. When you do that, God says you have a noble character. I love that. We live in a world inundated with information. Never before has it been this bad. Don't know about you, but I'm tired of the bombardment of data from every side. The meds work. No, the med doesn't work. This person is deceiving. No, this person is not deceiving. Wear the masks. No, don't wear the masks. This is just a conspiracy. No, it isn't a conspiracy. The earth is flat. No, it's round. <laughs> listen to the Democrats. No, listen to the Republicans. I'm just so tired of all the different sides. And if we're not careful, if we don't examine everything carefully, we may be deceived. And I think what's really important is that not to choose sides, but to have that noble character that the Bereans had and say, okay, what really is the truth here? What really is going on? The, Baron, the Bereans were noble because they received the message with eagerness and examined whether it was true or not. I so wish more of us examined more, prayed more, and asked for spirit-led eyes. Don't you? In verse 12, it says, as a result of, of these men with, and women with noble character, and as a result of what Paul and Silas were doing, it says, as a result, many of them, many of them believed, not just a few like in Thessalonica, but in Berea, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Once again, it mentions both. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Hmm. Verse 14 says, The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, and then left them with the instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So Paul is alone in Athens. He is an accidental missionary. He's on an accidental mission trip. He wasn't planning to go to Athens, but now he has to be there because of all that's going on. But is it accidental? Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Verse 16 says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So one of the things that we notice is that Paul looks and sees. He is studying. He's observing. And then it says, so 
after he had done all that, it says, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as, check this out, in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So he was able to somehow reach the religious and the secular. There was a, if you, if you, if you like baseball, uh, some of you know about switch hitters, right? Well, there was a guy uh, by the name of Pat Vendetti who was a switch pitcher. There's very few in history. He actually had a special glove that he could just switch from one side to the other so that he could pitch with either hand. Paul Vendetti regularly pitches, pitched with both arms. Vendetti was drafted by the New York Yankees and then later also played for the Seattle Mariners and some other teams as they followed and now plays for the San Francisco Giants. And the reason why he was so much wanted was because he was a switch pitcher. The Apostle Paul, I believe, was the Pat Mandetti of evangelism. He could switch pitch. He could go either way. It was amazing. He goes from the synagogue to the marketplace, from the religious to the secular. And he knows how to do this with such amazing uh, competence that I think as we study this, we, we get to understand how we did it. And what the results were. So let's continue. Verse 18 says, A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? Like, can we know about this? Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're saying? We've, we've never heard this. Verse 20 says, You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Because they believed in so many different gods. And now, here's another one. And this is totally different than the other gods that they had known about. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That's what they did. Sounds like a little bit of modern day social media. You just get on Facebook, man, and all you hear is this idea, and then this idea, and this idea. Athens was one of the most important and influential cities in Greece. And many intellectuals and philosophers would gather there to discuss and to debate. Sometimes just for the sake of discussing and debating. They were more concerned about getting their point across than to really hearing what others actually had to say. Probably no truer words were spoken uh, than these, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still than it was about Athens and the philosophers there. The Areopagus or Acropolis was actually the highest point in the city. And there was a temple there. And the patron goddess of that city was Athena. And Athena was the goddess of wisdom and warfare. And then if you went 50 yards or so by, 
there was another temple with another god. Someone once said that it is easier to find the god in Athens than a person back in those days. There were so many different gods. <laughs> About 50 yards away was another temple, and that was the te- the, there was another god there, and the god of Aris was the god of war, the Greek, Greek equivalent to the Roman guard, god of Mars. And that's why uh, in some translation it's called Mars Hill, because that was the hill of where the god Mars was, or Ares. Paul saw all these idols, the Bible says. You know, I love the fact that this very passionate, this very intense man doesn't just take a sledgehammer to these idols. Doesn't sit there and go, ah, what is all this? And, and starts to, to criticize. And No, he just, he, he, he sees them and, and he looks at them. In fact, as we have seen over and over again, he decides to meet them where they are. And that is how you talk to people that are secular, to people in the marketplace. But you don't let them think that they are less than you. I love this. Verse 22 says this, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... <clears throat> so he's actually standing up now and he decides, I'm, I'm, I'm just, just going to give this speech right now. People of Athens, I see, he says, that in every way you are very religious. See, he's not, he's not being condescending to them. He's actually saying they're very religious. He says, for as I walked around and I looked carefully, as I walked around and I looked carefully, as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And he's saying this in the classical sense. Like, in other words, you actually are worshiping a God you don't know. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, before we get into what he proclaims, I'm going to point out some things that are really important. It says, as I walked around and looked carefully. So he's paying attention. He is studying the culture. One of the things that we teach in leadership, especially in the act of communication, is seek first to understand And then, if allowed, seek to be understood. Seek first to understand, and then to be understood. Stephen Covey made that comment a long time ago. He does not peg them as irreligious. He is careful not to offend their efforts to seek the truth. He engages them Actually, with a speech, not so much a sermon. I know that because it wasn't preceded by a song or an offering. (laughs) It was just, let me just tell you exactly what is happening here. But check, check the brilliance of this speech. Paul was actually inviting the Athenians into a contemplation of the divine unknown. He was affording them an opportunity to encounter the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verse 24. He says, 
The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. How I wish people could understand that today. How true is that for us today? Jesus once said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And maybe that time has come now. Maybe this is it right here, right now. I suspect that most of us miss community, not the building. We long to see each other and embrace each other, to sing together and worship together in spirit and in truth. I want to tell you something. I, too, long for this with all my heart. Not some skimpy, shallow, strange arrangement of worship. I am tired of preaching in an empty church. I miss the hugs. And yes, I even miss the noisy praise of children. And God willing, I believe with all my heart soon and very soon, we will gather again. How do I know this? Because I believe that we serve an incredible God. And we are part of the unstoppable church. And none of this could ever stop us. The gates of hell shall not prevail. In verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And this, and he is not served, in verse 25, by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself, catch what he's saying here, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations. This is the God of diversity, by the way. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed time in history and the boundaries of their land. And he says, God did this. God did this on purpose. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him... We, and I, I bet he's doing this with the Athenians, we live and move and have our being. God is in us. He is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And brilliantly, Paul points to God who is the creator, sustainer in charge of history and geography. And then he says this, this unknown God that you worship, this unknown God longs to be known by you. This unknown God longs to be known. He is approachable. He is reachable. He is discoverable. And he's lovable. That's the God we serve. I don't know if, if you remember when you were little, you used to play this game called Hot and Cold. You would hide something, and somebody would be walking around, and if they were getting close, you would say, hot, hot, hot. If they were going farther away, you'd say, cold, cold, cold. 
And it's like these Athenians were playing this hot and cold game. And Paul is saying, hey, let me just tell you right now, it's getting really hot right now. You're getting really close. It's hot, hot, hot. In verse 30, it says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Some versions actually say he, he winked at our ignorance. I'm so thankful at times when God winks at my ignorance. I'm so thankful that God loves me so much that he's able to overlook my stupidity. I'm so thankful that God can, can overlook my, my mistakes and my ways, that his grace is abundant. He says, but now he commands all people everywhere to do what? To repent. I think this is when the speech starts becoming a sermon. I think right now I hear an altar call coming. And he says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. The man he has appointed. Who is this man? It's this guy, Jesus Christ, that I've been telling you about. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising this man from the dead. And every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. I mean, check out the, the outline of this amazing speech. Forgive me. Uh, I give speeches. I give sermons. So I'm always looking at what's the outline? What's the point? How does he do this? What is he making? How is he making the point? And he's basically saying, look, God is the creator. God is the sustainer. God is the governor. God is the redeemer. And yes, God is the compassionate, just judge. Wow. Now that's a sermon. All in this short little moment, he's able to put all this out there for them to hear. Because he knows this may be it. I may not come back to Athens again. I may not get a chance again to do this. And it says in verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them actually sneered. Again, they were just there to make their points. They couldn't understand this God that it could actually raise, be raised from the dead, that he actually was dead and now is alive, that Paul actually saw him alive. Not just Paul, but all his disciples. I mean, that is what the book of Acts is all about, preaching the resurrected Christ. Some of them sneered. But here's the point. And don't ever get discouraged when people sneer at you and when they ridicule you and when they reject you because you're preaching the gospel because someone always will. But others said, we want to hear you again. We want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. And it says this in verse 34. I love this. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Some of those people became followers of Paul and believed. Some of those people became followers of Paul. Really followers of Jesus, if we were honest with ourselves. And they believed. I'll never forget when I moved here from Italy. I was 10 years old and I had been apart from my dad and my whole family was for 
seven years of our lives. I didn't really know this man, but I longed to know him. I just was hoping that he longed to know me. And I'll never forget those first few days. They were so odd and so uncomfortable. I'm sure not just for me, but for him too. But he kept trying. He, he really was a gentle soul, a gentle man. Never forced. I never, never heard him fight with my mom. And I just remember him playing games and doing things with each one of us separately and then together, taking us in different places. I'll never forget when, when I became a teenager and I got in trouble. But he took me and said, come on, come and work with me. And some of the greatest memories I have of my dad was working with him as an electrician. Some of those moments where we partnered together to make something happen. And he would just, he would just tell me that he was proud of me. I, my dad was an Italian man. And rarely would you ever hear him say, I love you. I'll never forget the day that he was talking to a, to a doctor friend of ours. Uh, he didn't know that I was overhearing the conversation because I had just stepped outside the, the door. He was talking to the doctor. He had come to the house. Uh, my dad had been diagnosed with cancer, and this doctor actually had made a house call. He was a friend of ours. And he was talking to him about us, children. And at one point, I actually hear him say, you know, the one person I'm not worried about is Sergio. He's got his act together. And by then, I had already changed religion, and I already left his tradition and his culture. And yet, it was great to hear him say those words to this doctor. And it was great to hear him, to know that he wanted to get to know me as much as I wanted to get to know him. Realized that he longed to know me. And here's my prayer for today. As we go through all this craziness, and as the, this demon rebel tries to infiltrate everything that we're doing, listen to me. This will be over soon. God is in charge. And if it's not, Jesus is coming. And that's just even better. But here's what I want to tell you. Until then, may each one of us recognize that the signs of the times... And may we seek God who longs to be known because in the end, that's all that matters. Father in heaven, thank you for being the God who wants to be known. Thank you for being the God who wants to get to know us. Thank you for being a relational God. And I pray, Lord, that as we present you as the relational God, the God that loves, the God that's in charge, the God that creates, the God that sustains, and the God that one day will compassionately and justly judge us, may more people come to you and follow you so that when this is all said and done and, you and your Son returns in glory with all the angels, May we know that we have been tools in your hands to bring others across the threshold of eternity. We love you and you, we thank you for this, Father. Keep us safe.
Keep us strong until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have an awesome, awesome day today, church. And we'll see you next week. God bless you. Get to know him.